Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody here this morning. I love that worship time. I, I really appreciate what Pastor Jared shared that, you know, we will compromise a lot to protect the health of our congregation, but we will not compromise on um, experiencing life, liberty, and happiness in our Lord, right? And I just love that time that we had in worship. That line that even in the fire, there's someone standing next to me, that Christ is standing next to me. And I thought about all the really tough times of, of life, times that Donna and I went through where literally that was the case. It felt like the Lord was just standing there right next to me, right next to us. And I'm just so thankful for his presence. So um, hope you all had a great 4th of July. Um, yesterday, 244 years ago, if my math is correct, a bunch of men met, uh, each one representing one of the 13 British colonies, to declare their independence. And uh, they, when they gathered, they wrote a document to, to make their decla- declaration. And one of the most famous lines from that Declaration of Independence it's in the preamble, and I'm sure a lot of you will remember it and probably know it by heart. Uh, and it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are, help me out here, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, it's interesting. It's, it's a bit ironic, isn't it, that these men are meeting. They declare that because of who God is and, and how God has made us and what he has endowed with, to us is, A, number one, that we are all equal before him and that, that because of who he is, we all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the irony is, is as they're writing, as they sign this document that says, hey, we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, they're actually sacrificing all three of those things, are they not? They are putting their own life, their own liberty, and their own happiness at risk by signing this document. Because signing this document meant treason against the British Empire. And in fact, a number of them suffered a lot. All of them suffered loss. All of them lost some amount of their wealth, some amount of their liberty, some amount of their happiness. Some of them were completely wiped out by the Revolutionary War. Some of them lost their life, right? And yet they're declaring, hey, we have a right, as all men who are equal have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what would drive them to claim the very thing that they're sacrificing? Why would they take a stand like that when they have such a high value on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, knowing 
that they're giving those things up for themselves. There must be some higher reason, some deeper happiness that they're pursuing, right? Some great, greater liberty, some more important aspect of life. And of course, all of this is happening in the context of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Many of them are believers. Some of them, I think four of them actually attended seminary, have a degree from, from a seminary. One of the, the sort of small working group that actually wrote the Declaration of Independence, one of them was one of, was one of them that had, had, uh, got their education out of seminary. There was at least one active pra- uh, pastor who was part of this delegation that signed the Declaration of Independence. So they're coming from a, a Christian paradigm, even if not all of them are professing Christians, right? There's some deists in there, there's some other things going on in there, but they have a working assumption about life and what life means that's based on Scripture. Therefore, I think it would be really appropriate for us to take a look at Scripture, yeah? And talk about what is it about the life that we have in Christ, the liberty that we have in Christ, the happiness that we have in Christ that would empower us to give up our life in some cases, to give up our liberty in some cases, to give up our short-term happiness. What would empower us to do that? Did, did, did not the apostles consistently do that? They were consistently giving up all three of those things, right? Because I think there was something deeper. There was a more compelling argument. There was a deeper motivation. So we're going to just look at a number of scriptures. And we're going to start with um, this idea that all men are created equal. And a great place to, a great example, and it's kind of, it's a story that involves Peter. Of course, any story that involves Peter is always really interesting and slightly comical and also really profound. And Peter always provides such a great example to us because he's, he's just always on the ragged edge of things. So this comes from uh, Acts chapter 10. If you want to turn there. Uh, and we'll take a look at that. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 34. We're just going to read a couple couple um, verses out of this, but just to give you a sense of context of what's going on. Peter, Jesus has ascended to heaven. Jesus has given, restored Peter. You know, Jesus said to Peter, hey, do you love me? He said it three times, which kind of parallels the three times that Jesus denied him before he, when he was arrested. But then Christ restores him, says, hey, do you love me three times? And now... And now Christ has given Peter the great commission to go and preach the gospel to all creatures, right? And also Pentecost has already happened. So Peter is full of the Holy Spirit, taught by Christ, ready to be a minister of the gospel. And, and he's up on the roof and they're preparing dinner. And all of a sudden God gives him this vision and he sees this big sheet full of all these unclean animals. And God says, look, see those animals there? You need to go kill them and eat them. And Peter's like, no, may it never be, which is funny because he's, Peter says that a number of times to the Lord. The Lord goes to wash his feet, and Peter says, no, Lord, may it never be. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me. And of course, Peter goes, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, no, just washing your feet is, is, is enough for this example, Peter. So Peter says, no, no way. I've never have I eaten anything unclean. I've, I've pr- I'm a good Jewish uh faithful servant of yours that have, ne- have never eaten anything unclear, unclean, and yet God tells him, look, know what, you need, you need to put that aside, Peter, 
and I want you to go and eat. In fact, it's interesting, he gives him that vision three times. He basically says it to Peter three times again, which is God's way of saying, look, Peter, I'm not joking about this. You need to go and you need to kill and you need to eat these things that are unclean. And all of this is just setting the stage for God to use Peter to go to a Gentile, not just any Gentile, but a Roman Gentile, who's part of the Roman army, who's occupying Jerusalem, who's occupying the promised land, right? So if Peter has any prejudice at all, it's definitely a prejudice against an Italian Gentile who is there commanding forces that is occupying his homeland, right? It would be like if the Chinese invaded and there's a local Chinese guy who's, who's got authority over the forces that are occupying Corona and we're all under martial law. And God says, I want you to go to that commander and preach, preach the gospel to him. We'd be like, really, Lord? I mean, this guy who's occupying us? And for, for Peter, it's even greater because there's such a prejudice amongst the Jews toward Gentiles and that they would have never anything to do with them. They wouldn't even talk to them. When Jesus met the woman at the well, his disciples were like shocked. Not only is he talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. You know, Samaritans are, are a separate ethnic class that, that Jews avoided and actually had quite a bit of hatred and prejudice for. And yet here's Jesus ministering to and talking to a Samaritan woman, right? So God is saying, look, you need to let that go. You need to let this go. The gospel is for all people. And, and in verse 34, he says, so, so Peter has gone to the, you know, has, has been obedient to the Lord. He goes to this, this guy's house. This guy has invited all his friends and family to hear what Peter has to say because God's been revealing to this Italian commander, hey, I've got a word for you and I'm sending you a man to give you that word. And of course, it's Peter. So Peter shows up and when he sees this Italian man and, and how much he desires to hear what Peter has to say, which is the gospel, Peter's just amazed. It's like, imagine showing up, some, a neighbor invites you over to the house and says, hey, we've heard this thing about the gospel and we'd like to hear what you have to say about it. And by the way, I've invited all my friends and all my family and all my neighbors so we can all hear the gospel. It's like, anybody want to sign up for that little gospel? Wouldn't that be awesome? Normally it's like, knock, knock, slam, that's it. But but that would be awesome. So Peter shows up. He's just amazed by all this. And he says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So the great divide in the world amongst people is not race, is not ethnicity, is not national um, identity. The great divide is whether or not you identify yourself with Christ, whether you belong to Christ or not. That is the question. That is the issue. All other, all other issues are not even close, not even a far second. They're not even on the radar, right? I, earlier, it's interesting. I think it's profound. Um, you don't have to, to try to find it, but the, earlier there's a point when Peter first shows up at the house. And, and Cornelius, this, this commander, actually kneels down and worships Peter. And Peter grabs hold of his hands and lifts him up and says, look, no, 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 I, I'm just a man like you. Don't worship me. I'm just a, I'm, we're all just men and women. There's, we're all the same. There's no difference. The only difference is, 
Do you belong to Christ or not? That's the essential question. Amen? So the founders are correct. All men are created equal before God. We all equally have sinned against God, and we all equally need his salvation. But what is not equal, some of us come to faith and gain his salvation, and some of us don't. That's the great eternal inequity, and it's a righteous one. Amen. So we are all created equal before a, a holy God who loves us. And I, it's my prayer that we will turn to Christ for our salvation, that we would belong to him. Another example is Galatians 3.25. If you want to look there real quick. So Paul's talking about the law. And he's talking about, hey, in Christ, we have salvation by faith. The law doesn't make us righteous. In fact, the law was just there to kind of protect us, to be a guardian until faith in Christ came. But salvation comes through faith in Christ. And he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you are, if you are in faith, you are a son of God. You are a daughter of the king. For as many of you as, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you, all one, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what Paul is saying here is this got nothing to do with keeping the law. It has nothing to do with your ethnic heritage. It has nothing to do if you are a descendant of Abraham. Salvation has nothing to do with the fact that you've descended from Abraham. What it has to do with is faith in Christ. What you inherited from Abraham was the law. What you inherited from Abraham is the covenants, the promises. But the fulfillment of that is Christ. And, of course, Paul will even say Abraham himself was not justified by the law. Abraham was justified by faith. So it has nothing to do with your ethnic heritage, your background, who you are in that, in that, in that context. It has everything to do with whether or not you put your ultimate faith and trust in the Lord. Amen? That's the, that's the consideration. So what about life? How do we seek a deeper life, a more meaningful life? Are we willing to give up some of the temporary aspects of our life for something greater and deeper? And what would be the greater thing? What were these men who assembled? What, what were they giving their lives up for? Many of them knew they literally were going to give up their lives for signing this document. What's so worth that? Uh, we're going to look at John, a number of passages in John, starting with John chapter 5, verse 24. And Jesus is debating, and of course, across these passages, Jesus is having a lot of interaction with the Pharisees and debating with the Pharisees. And of course, the Pharisees are the religious elite of the community at this point, right? And Jesus is debating with them, and they're saying, hey, but we have our heritage. We have Abraham. We have the law. 
we're Jewish, right? What are you talking about? And, and Jesus, uh, specifically in this passage, in 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, look, it's not about your law. It's not about your ethnic heritage. It's about me and you putting your faith and hope and trust in me. Another verse real quick, verse, uh, same chapter of 39 Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They know the scriptures. They search the scriptures. They got the book, right? They have the, they have the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. They search, they know it inside and out. And yet they are missing the whole point. The entire point of God's word, they're completely missing. And I think one of the lessons for us, particularly for us who are believers, for us, for us who put kind of a high value on scripture and the revelation of God, is that we, as we're studying scripture, as we're meeting together in studies, as you study the word of God in your own t- private time, remember that the point is not just to gain knowledge about scripture only. That's not the ultimate end. The ultimate end is to get closer to the Lord. The ultimate end is to have a relationship with Christ, right? The ultimate end is to come to grips with where you stand in Christ and where is he standing in relationship to you. That's the point of studying scripture, right? We don't study scripture to demonstrate and prove how smart we are or how spiritual we are or any other reason other than to come into greater faith in Christ and to move closer in with him, right? So one of the aspects of this life, this life that will bring greater meaning and greater fulfillment is to press into Christ. What does our world offer us in terms of what life is about? What is more like? What's the typical 20-second commercial? How does it define the fullness of life? Defines it in everything other than God himself, Christ. It tries to make God out of a car or a house or a vacation, right? There's something so much deeper than that. Uh, one more verse in, in regards to life, John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus is still um, preaching at the, uh, the Pharisees, and he says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right? That word abundantly, it's a lot, extra, more than you need. That, that exact same word is, is used in, a, in one of Paul's epistles, and the way the translators translate that word in that context is uh, superfluous, right? Extra. More, you, you know, you have enough. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to give you way more life than you actually even need. Abundant life. Life in, in great wealth and abundance. But what does that mean? 
What does that, what does that look like? What does that feel like? There's a, a passage I alluded to just a little bit ago. And in fact, I'm going to go there. I wasn't planning on going there, but I'm going to go there. It's John chapter 4. And it's when Jesus is talking to the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And in uh, John four thirteen, Jesus says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water willing up to eternal life. The life that Christ gives us is something so much deeper than some temporary experience, some incredibly cool concert, or some massive, amazing vacation that is here today and then goes away tomorrow. What Christ gives us in terms of the abundance of life is something that wells up inside of us consistently, fully, and it's not something we have to create. It's something that comes up in us from him himself, from his power from the nature of who he is, and it wills all the way up into eternity. And of course, the ultimate expression of this abundant life is, is life eternity in Christ, with Christ, right? No matter what happens in this life, we have a full and abundant life in Christ. So what, would, what does it mean to have life, not only life, but liberty? And go, go back to John again, chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a, is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the title of the message. In Christ, we are free indeed. What does that mean? These guys are willing to give up their liberty. They're willing to give up their freedom. Why? For greater freedom. Because right now they're under oppression. They're under rule from a foreign country that's across the ocean, right? And they want to be self-ruled. And they're willing to give up their, their level of freedom that they have under the British Empire for the potential of much greater freedom. Even if they in their own lives aren't going to experience, but at least maybe their kids or their community will experience that. And that's the same liberty that we have in Christ. The liberty we have in Christ is the liberty to sacrificially love our neighbor. Sometimes that means giving up some of our freedoms. Sometimes that means putting on a mask. When I, Personally, I hate wearing a mask. I really do. But you know what? Are we, are we willing to do that? You all are. I'm, as I'm looking at the signs, I'm seeing whole faces. Everybody's got a mask on. You're doing that for the, not to protect yourself, right? The science says it doesn't really protect you much but you're protecting everybody else in this room. So you're giving up a little piece of your liberty. Why? So others can have so much more liberty. So one of us doesn't wind up in you know, the ICU for two or three weeks or permanent organ damage, right? We're willing to do that. But what's the, what, is there a deeper motive for that? Jesus says, look, you know what? I gave up my liberty. I gave up my life so that I can free you from the tyranny of sin. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, right? We are all slaves to sin. And Jesus temporarily gave up his liberty to free us, to expand our liberty way beyond what we can imagine. I, don't, I think often we don't quite realize just how enslaved we are to 
to sin until we try to put it down, until we recognize the Holy Spirit convicts us or the Word reveals to us that, hey, you know, I've got something going on in my life that's not right before the Lord. And before I realized that, I wouldn't say that I was a slave to it. But now that I realize that that's an issue and that's probably not right, and now I try to remove it from my life, now all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, I'm kind of a slave to this thing. It's one thing to recognize it. It's a whole other thing to remove it from my life. And then we feel the power of that sin. But Christ has set us free from that. And as we work through a process of confessing those things that are in our life to God and to one another, through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word, he begins to gradually give us liberty and power over that, split, over that sin, and he sets us free. Sets us free from that sin. And of course, ultimately, at the consummation, or at our death, whichever comes first, we will be completely free of every one of our sins. Amen? Won't that be a great day? You won't be able to think of anything sinful, much less do anything sinful. Everything you think of, well, God will just be going, right on, man, go for it, 100%, all in. Enjoy it. John chapter, um, uh, let's see. Actually, I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is Paul, and, he, and he's saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So again, Paul is, and Paul's talking, when he says, do not again submit to a yoke of slavery, you might automatically think, well, don't submit again to your sin nature. But the specific aspect of the sin nature that Paul's addressing is our, our tendency to want to submit to legalism, to want to try to earn God's favor by by doing the law perfectly, right? The gospel message is when we blow it, as John says in his letter, he says, if we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us from those sins. The gospel message is when we blow it, we confess it. We don't try to take on more law and earn our way back into God's favor, right? We just confess that sin to him and he forgives us of that sin. That's liberty. That's freedom. You know, that trying to live under the law is oppressive and it's a huge weight. And Paul says, look, look we couldn't bear that weight. How, how would we expect the Gentiles to bear that weight? Right? But freedom in Christ means, hey, when we blow it, when we're aware we're falling short, we just confess it to the Lord and he washes that sin away from us and he makes the difference. He empowers us to change over time. And again, when we're called up into heaven, when we meet the Lord in the sky, when we're, when we're in paradise with Christ, it, Scripture says that Jesus will deliver us perfect and holy before the Father. That'll be the total consummation of our liberty. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 4.18. This is, this is a... a really powerful passage. This is early in Christ's ministry. Actually, it kind of begins Christ's ministry, and he reads a passage out of Isaiah, and after reading it, he says, okay, this day, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Christ is saying, hey, I am fulfilling, the, I am the fulfillment of this passage from Isaiah. It's from Isaiah 61. So it's recorded by Luke chapter 4, 18. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus himself is our liberty. He is the source of our liberty. Do you ever feel um, poor? One of the, uh, in one of Jesus' sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right? Do you ever feel poor? Do you ever feel empty? Jesus is saying, look, I've come that you could have eternal life, that you can inherit the entire kingdom of God. That's a significant inheritance. Have you felt captive? I think here in the U.S., you know, middle class generally, we all feel like we're pretty good. We're not really captive to anybody. We're not necessarily blind. Uh, we're not particularly oppressed, although... In this current COVID virus, we're kind of, I think some of us are feeling a little bit of that oppression, right? It's been a pretty tough time. But I think the reality is, is we are much more captive than we realize, right? We are captive to our culture. We're captive to our upbringing. We're captive to the 24 seven news cycle. We're captive to the media. There are all kinds of things that are continuing to tell us over and over and over again, hey, you're on your own, it's all up to you. And you're pretty much kind of doomed. Sorry. You know, this life is tough and it's going to get worse. And don't know what to tell you, right? Other than go buy a new car and maybe you'll feel better, right? I mean, that's the oppression, the captivity, I think, that our culture lives in. But Christ has said, hey, I've come to set you free from all of that. When I set you free, when I proclaim liberty to the captives, they are absolutely liberated. In Christ, we are fully and absolutely liberated, right? But that's a process that we're in, that we're learning. We, a lot of us have huge blind spots, but we don't know that we have blind spots. That's the whole point of a blind spot. You don't know you have one. In fact, actual physio, according to your physiology, you literally have a blind spot. You have two blind, each eye has a blind spot, and one eye covers the blind spot for the other eye. But there's all kinds of experiments. Google it, look it up, and you can see your blind spot. There's little techniques you can do, and you can see your blind spot. But normally, as you're going through life, you don't notice, you don't recognize that you have a blind spot. And I think spiritually, we often have, well, we all have blind spots continuously. And Christ came to to begin to shed light into those areas and say, hey, you don't understand how oppressed you are. You don't understand how stressed you are. You don't understand how much more life and liberty there is for you. You don't understand what kind of life and liberty you're going to have throughout eternity. But the more we understand that, the more we press into that, the more we press into Christ himself, the more we can begin to say, you know what? I can surrender, I can surrender the temporary aspects of my life. I can surrender the temporary liberties of my life. I don't, I'm not so all about, hey, it's all about my rights, right? My liberty. Hey, you know what? If it means proclaiming the gospel, if it means touching someone for the sake of the Lord, I'm willing to give that up because there's a greater liberty that I know how I have access to and that Christ has promised me. What about the pursuit of happiness? Definitely our culture is all about happiness, is it not? I mean, every commercial is, if you just do this, you'll be happy. If you just get that new um, electric Tesla truck, be happy. 
I, mean, I can picture that trek up in the snow, can you not? I know Dave and I can, we're like there, we're on it, man. It's like if we just had that, we'd be happy, man. We'd be so happy until it, you know, the battery blows up and somebody crashes into it or whatever happens. Somebody breaks that bulletproof glass, then we're, and we're not happy anymore. So what, what kind of happiness are we willing to give up? Is there a deeper happiness? Is there a deeper purpose in happiness? I want to look at a, um, Luke's, Luke's version of the Beatitudes. I, I alluded to it a moment ago, the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. And this passage, it's interesting because Jesus makes this comparison contrast of present suffering versus future blessing. And he goes through three or four verses of that, and then he goes through those same ideas again, but then he reverses them and gives us the opposite. Let's just, let's just read it real quick, starting in chapter, uh, verse 20, Jesus says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. That word blessed that Jesus keeps, mean, keeps repeating has, has the meaning of deep, deep happiness, deep joy. It has that idea of, you know, when you've had a really great meal and you've, you've eaten plenty but not too much and you're in that perfect state of contentment where you just feel full and and blessed, it has that feeling of, of fullness and contentment, deep joy and happiness that's just ah, content and happy. It's kind of the way I feel about an hour after I've had my two cups of coffee in the morning. Yesterday, I, I said to Donna, I said, I think I'm in my caffeine happiness right now, I'm just in that place of contentment that caffeine does to my brain. Um, but obviously, this is, this is a much deeper one, and and and... And he says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are suffering now, temporarily. Why? Why are you blessed? Why are you happy? Why would that be a happy state? Because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when you're hungry. It's not fun to be hungry. What's to be happy about being hungry? He says, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And listen to this, to the energy of this leap for joy. Jesus is saying, hey, be exceedingly greatly happy when all these awful things are happening. Why would we be exceedingly happy when everything is going wrong and bad? Is Jesus saying, well, let's just all be Pollyanna and pretend like it's not bad? Is he saying, I right, just you know, think it and then you'll feel it, right? Is that what he's saying? He's saying, no, you're happy because these things are temporary. I have a purpose in the midst of what is hard and difficult and painful in this life, and it will ultimately result in your great abiding happiness and joy. Leap for joy, because what's in store for you 
is so full of life, so extraordinarily beyond what we can imagine or hope for, so beyond what we need, so exaggerated, so generous, so over the top, full of life and joy. So he's not saying pretend like this is not bad. He's saying in the midst of it being tough and bad, remember, recognize that what I have for you is so much greater. And if you can believe that, if you can walk in faith about that, then you can serve me so much better in the here and now. You can care for the person sitting next to you in the pew or the person sitting behind or in front of you in the pew. You can let go of your rights for a moment in order to see someone else discover the liberty that they have in Christ, right? And it's not just, well, just suck it up and then one day you'll be happy. Knowing that we're, that day is coming from us can make us happy now in this moment. It can give it context, it can give it meaning. I don't know any eight-year-old who is gonna go to Disneyland tomorrow who's not happy right now, right? So when, we're, when it's tough, when we're oppressed, when we feel like our liberties are just shrinking all around us, and we feel like our life is becoming less and less meaningful and has less and less substance, where do we need to go? We need to turn ourselves. We need to turn to Christ and the fulfillment that we find in him, the life we can have in him, the liberty that we have in him, overflowing, pressed down, way beyond anything we could need. That's what we have in Christ. And that's the challenge to us as we walk through this tough temporary life, right? Paul said, you know what? I consider everything I had before Christ to be rubbish in comparison to what I now have in Christ, right? He also said, you know what? I, I cannot even compare these temporary light afflictions to the weight of glory that God has in store for us. And I believe the reason Paul was able to be shipwrecked over and over again, to be thrown into prison, to be beaten up, to be stoned to the point where people, everybody thought he was dead and walked away, and then Paul... God revives him and Paul stands up and walks right back into the city again. How do you do that? You do that because you know what you have in Christ. You know what he's promised you, right? He's given you even a taste of it. Even as we're worshiping this morning, he gives us a little taste of that glory, a little, oh, Lord, I can sense that you are present with us. Even in the fire, you stand beside us. Amen? Has it been a tough time? It's been a tough time. You know, it has not been fun being sort of in COVID, you know, shut down in isolation, wondering what's going to happen to the economy, what's going to happen to the economics of our life, what's going to happen to our life? When am I going to test positive for COVID one day? Am I going to go to the hospital? Um, no one will be able to visit me. You know, I get it. That's, that's intense, right? But when we're feeling that, when we're up against that, where do we need to turn to? Who do we turn to? Do we turn to the TV? Do we turn to our hobby? You know? Do we turn to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith? Do we turn to Christ, the one who created us? Scripture says that all things were made by him, through him, and for him. 
him being Christ? Will we turn to him in the midst of all that we're struggling with? I want to sum up this way. It's kind of summary statement. In Christ, let's, let's pursue deep happiness in Christ. Pursue deep happiness in Christ. Share the freedom and abundant life he has given you. And share it without partiality. Here's sort of a real, here's, a practice, here's another way to think about what I just said. And I'm going to say it in reverse. Think about the person that you may value the least. Or think about someone who actually annoys you. Think about someone that you have disenfranchised or in some way have considered them less than. Think about that person and think about what Christ has given for that person. Think about the life and the liberty and the happiness Christ died in order for that person to have. And reach out to that person and share the freedom and abundant life you have in Christ with that person. Recognize that Christ died for that person, that they would have deep, abiding joy, happiness. That they would leap for joy. Even now in this life, that we would leap for joy, even as we're in the fire. Because we know Christ stands beside us and that he has promised a paradise of glory for us. Amen? Let's pursue deep happiness in Christ, sharing the freedom and abundant life he's given to us, and let's share it without partiality. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for your great love. I thank you for your indiscriminate love, your abundant love, your love beyond what we could need or even imagine. Lord, I thank you that you loved us sinners who had denied you, who had rejected you, who had who had paid you no mind, Lord, but you loved us. Father, and you gave yourself your son. You loved the world so much that you gave your only begotten son that if we were to believe in him, that whomever should believe in him would have eternal life. God, we say that so often. Yes, eternal life. Yes, we have heaven. We have the kingdom. Lord, help us to see what that means, God. That means forever in a place of incredible happiness and joy and light and beauty. Father, where the music is perfect, God, where the games are always fun and uplifting and no one is cast out, no one is put down, all are lifted up even as we lift you up, God, and your presence is right there at the center. We are lit by your very presence for all of eternity, Jesus. Help us to plant that in our mind. Help us to stay our mind on that reality, Lord, that we might live a deeper life of liberty and happiness that has real meaning, Lord Jesus. In your son's name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.